Good afternoon. It's Monday, the 25th of April, 2022, just after one o'clock. Welcome to UK Column News. Your host today, Mike Robinson, myself, Brian Gerrish. We're delighted to be joined by David Scott um, and our very own Katie Joe, And also we have Vanessa Beely with us today. OK, let's uh, get straight on then with the, uh, well, the wonderful news from France that uh, Emmanuel Macron has been uh, re-elected. Uh, for a second term and what five years uh, this time he won by 58.55 percent of the vote uh, I was just going to say it's bad news when this happens to Putin but when it's Macron it's all good news. oh absolutely 100 uh, percent 41.45 percent went to uh, Le Pen uh, so that was 18.8 uh, million votes for Macron and 13.3 million votes for uh, Le Pen but then another well, I think it was just a bit over 3 million people who either spoiled their ballot uh, or uh, left the ballots blank. So the turnout was uh, under 72%, which is apparently the lowest uh, in any presidential uh, election since uh, 1969. Um, and, uh, well, the far left leader, who's uh, Jean-Luc uh, uh, Mélenchon, uh, said that, uh, what did he say? He said, uh, he floats in an ocean, he's talking about Macron, he floats in an ocean of abstentions and blank and spoiled ballots. Um, so, uh, Vanessa, maybe we'd say welcome to the programme and uh, just get your thoughts briefly on this. Uh, I mean, you know, the Mozart of finance, as he was christened uh, when he was working at the Rothschild Bank, um, a president who plunged his country into austerity and uh, poverty even before he brought in the draconian um, COVID measures that were some of the strictest in Europe, and of course not forgetting the yellow vest, the Gilets Jaunes movement, that has been a thorn in his side for a number of years now. Um, and of course, in the speech that he made to an alleged victory rally at the foot of the uh, Eiffel Tower, he claimed that he would reunite France, a France that has drifted right to Marine Le Pen, because of um, Macron's role as effectively a marionette for the transnational plutocracy. Um, and, you know, th this is a man claiming to reunite France when all he has done throughout his first term as president is to divide and, as I said, plunge France into economic devastation. Uh, well, it was interesting that uh, this type of tweet uh, was being pushed out this morning. So this is from somebody calling themselves Scotty. Uh, when your World Economic Forum pals wrap up an election for you and rigged immediately starts trending on Twitter. Uh, and so the image of, is uh, of Macron with his head in his hands there. Uh, but the point is that uh, rigged uh, was trending this morning on Twitter. Absolutely. And I just thought it'd be interesting to uh, take that sort of sentiment and consider what's going on in the UK just very briefly, uh, because there's an elections bill going through uh, Parliament at the moment. It's uh, at committee stage in the House of Lords. Um, and uh, well, this morning there was, uh, or in the last day or so anyway, there was a, uh, an email went uh, to Michael Gove uh, from the Committee on Standards and Public Life, which basically saying this, uh, the fundamental principle that the regulator of elections in the UK could be fully independent of government came through clearly in the wide-ranging evidence that, that we heard. That's the Committee on Standards of Public Life heard. Uh, the Commission is an important safeguard against political interference in the electoral system and thus occupies a unique position as a regulator. It's not a body that exists to deliver government policy, but the arbiter of fair elections. As such, it, may, it must be operationally independent and be seen so. 
uh, seem to be so. Uh, my committee discussed this matter again this morning and we remain deeply troubled by the long-term risk to our democratic system that is inherent in provisions which give the government of the day, whichever its political complexion, the opportunity to exert influence on the way the commission operates. Uh, and this is because uh, as part of the election bill, um, they have uh, decided to put the uh, Minister for Constitutional Affairs on the uh, committee, which um, effectively oversees the Electoral Commission. Um, and uh, the, the commission themselves said that the, the, uh, the bill, the election bill, um, places a fetter on the commission which would limit its activity. And so, uh, David, very briefly, I just thought it would be, it was quite amusing that uh, the allegations of uh, rigging in France um, in the meantime, whether it be electoral boundaries or interference with the election commission, um, we have a government that uh, it seems like it's heading in the same direction in this country. Yes, uh, and, and it, it's it's using the reputation that the country has uh, as you know the, the the mother of parliaments and as a, a country historically uh, relatively free from corruption to cover gross corruption. Uh, this is, um, uh, we've seen this in Scotland as well, where um, the, the reputation for things like fiscal pr uh, prudence has been, has been used by politicians to do the exact opposite. Yes, indeed. Okay, well, any thoughts? Well, uh, <clears throat> sorry, that's a nice lead into the next section, really, because of course, if if we if we've got rigging going on, how are we going to do it? We can play around with the votes themselves. We can do it by the media and propaganda, uh, or we can control organisations that are in control of the voting process, as you've described. So, what was happening over the last few days? Well, of course, massive, massive propaganda from the West. UK and the US, of course, leading it. Um, but uh, I paid attention to what I was seeing on screen. So this is a couple of days ago. It's Sky News in a very glossy studio having a brief about the uh, war in Ukraine. And of course, uh, there's no there's no down the middle on the uh, reporting. It's all predominantly anti-Russian. Uh, but who who are the uh, who's the gentleman actually giving the briefing? The rather dapper man with his uh, little handkerchief in his pocket. Well, this is retired Air Vice, Vice Marshal Bell. And I was interested that he's labelled as coming from Universal Defence and Security Solutions. So this is the man put in front of the camera. And I'm thinking to myself, well, okay, he's ex-military, but uh, can we actually trust what he's saying and what is his agenda? Well, if you take a look at Universal Defence and Security Solutions, uh, this is the start of their What We Do. Uh, so they provide vision, strategy, operational and major project advice, as well as delivery support to governments, armed forces, information technology companies, defence, national security organisations, as well as private industry. Wow. So pretty well connected people there when it comes to a war going on. And um, it says that they're a leader, not only the delivery of practical advice and service in all areas of defence security, but also in the, quote, thinking and execution of digital age defence and security transformation. So these people, I would say, a deep state. Uh, that uh, term at the end there, including applied cyber, by the way, that means offensive cyber? Offensive cyber operations. So remember, this is apparently a private company 
encourage people to go and have a look at it. I've just called this Meet the Suits because the people involved predominantly are uh, ex-very senior military officers, but they've got a few people who've got uh, a pretty wealthy business background. There's also direct connections through to GCHQ and direct connections into the government. So this is one big company of suits. And um, the question is really, what are they up to? Well, let's come back into this and have a look in a bit more detail. Defence policy planning programming, military strategy, operational planning and execution, digital age transformation, cyber, mentoring, wider security and operations other than war. So war's out, war's gone now, Mike. It's difficult to tell it from peace, but wherever it uh, is happening, they're involved. Leadership, policy development, strategic planning, defence and service, education, training, cyber, logistics, acquisition, project management, intelligence, surveillance and reconnaissance. So question, are they involved in Ukraine? And we can't really answer that question is the uh, key thing because we can't see. There's not a lot of information. But my guess is they're likely to be, which means that it would appear that maybe the uh, report on the war in Ukraine was not as, as clear cut as we, we, we might think. So what do they say? Well, this is interesting because they say what they're not. And if we bring this up on screen, we will provide assistance in establishing tactics, techniques and procedures. But, quote, we will not become involved in putting them into action. So we're not going to get our hands dirty on the battlefield because we're wearing nice suits. We'll let somebody else do the dying. We're just going to be somewhere in the background. But look at the final one. Equally, we will not work with governments or other organisations that are believed to be acting counter to UK national interests unless any such work is supported and endorsed by the UK government. So what are we dealing here? Is this a private company or is it an old boys network with the British government? What, what is it? Good question. David, do you, un do you know what this is? Did that last sentence, Brian, imply that they accept that the British government might in certain circumstances be working against the British national in interest? Because it seemed to have that uh, conclusion from me. I thought that was very interesting. Uh, what do I think of it? It's uh, a very strange hybrid of management speak and killing people. And of course, that comes from uh, this little book here, The Weaponization of Everything, A Field Guide to the New Way of, the new way of War uh, by Mark uh, Galliotti. This is the, the new way of war, Brian. Yeah. Well, I think there's a lot more work to be done on organisations like that particular consultancy, but I don't get a good feeling. I do get a good feeling about the quality of uh, some of the um, uh, people speaking out over social media. And my attention uh, for a couple of weeks has come to this gentleman at I Earl Grey TV. And I picked up a couple of days ago with this really excellent broadcast where he has discovered a lot of um, very detailed factual information about uh, uh, basically war crimes in Ukraine. But the document that uh, he picks up is OSCE, Supplementary Human Dimension Meeting, April 2016. Uh, some of this is pretty graphic stuff, but we need to talk about it. So we've got the cover photo on the left of your screen, citizen Alexander 
Agafanov, tortured to death by SPU officers in Izium on the 14th of November 2014. His wife says they beat him to death. Uh, he's got puncture marks on his hands. They punctured him or drove needles under his nails. There were holes in his hands. They tortured him like there was no, uh, uh, like there was a real war. No one has tortured people the way they tortured him. Uh, this is part of the reference if people want to go and find it. But very detailed report. The information collected by the Foundation for Democracy Studies give grounds to believe that the Ukrainian and armed forces, VSU, the National Guard and other military units of the Ministry of the Interior, as well as the Security Service of Ukraine, uh, systematically and on purpose violate Article 3 of the European Convention on Human Rights that reads no one should be subjected to torture or to inhumane or degrading treatment or punishment. And the extent to which torture is being used and the fact that this is done systematically prove that torture is an intentional strategy of the said institutions authorised by their leadership. So that's pretty clear, Mike, I think. And uh, detail here, prisoners electrocuted, beaten, uh, baseball uh, stick, waterboarded, it goes on and on. People can freeze that on screen to see the detail. It includes rape with torture as well. And uh, what it says right at the end, which is interesting, many of those tortured are not members of the self-defense forces of the Donetsk or Luhansk People's Republic uh, republics. So what they're pointing at is this is a regime torturing its own people. Uh, these are some of the statements. An overwhelming majority of prisoners held by the Ukrainian side are brut brutally and systematically beaten. The armed forces uh, use psychotropic drugs at the same time that they're torturing. In a large number of cases, the Ukrainian authorities, um, to be able to exchange prisoners, would arrest citizens who have not committed any offence. In many cases, Ukrainian civilians are also subjected to beatings and death threats. The victims also state that the Ukrainian side holds people for long periods of time in violation of the war. Well, consider that against this horrible headline from the BBC, Ukrainian war, how Russia replaces Ukrainian, Ukrainian media uh, with its own. Um, I did smile because this comes from uh, Maria Karenyuk and Jack Goodman, the World Service Disinformation Team, which indeed they are. Uh, so what's this article about? How Russia replaces the Ukrainian media with its own. The Russians are closing down media outlets. They are capturing transmitting towers. They're putting out their own information. But in the background in this country, we've got 4.1% million of extra funding from the government to allow the BBC to fund what is supposedly Russian disinformation. You couldn't make this stuff up, really. Um, so what's the true story? Well, it's not that Russia is doing it because the BBC's already replaced Ukrainian media with its own. And in this article, there's no mention of BBC Media Action, BBC Monitoring or the BBC World Service all three of which are being used to produce BBC propaganda. Now, let's just have a look at this little BBC video clip, uh, which goes back to uh, 2014, when the BBC was well aware of the brutal state of torture in Ukraine.
The following report contains some graphic images. Shocking images of one anti-government protester. 35-year-old Dmitry Bulatov went missing for eight days. He says he was kidnapped and tortured. There's not a single spot on my body that doesn't hurt, he says. They threatened to prick one of my eyes. They cut off a piece of my ear. They crucified me, nailing me to a door. His case led to a strong condemnation by the European Union foreign policy chief Catherine Ashton. In a statement, she said she was appalled by the obvious signs of prolonged torture and cruel treatment. Outside the hospital where Bulatov is being treated, protesters gathered. They're worried about his future. Policemen said that they have an order to arrest Dmitry Bulatov. There are many police cars around the hospital and we think they wanted to arrest him. So sickening stuff, 2014, the BBC only had one or two articles on the torture, but the BBC was fully aware of it. And as we'll see, despite that, they then worked with that very regime. Vanessa, what, what are your thoughts? I just wanted to mention that that uh, report into the crimes being committed against humanity in Ukraine was written or, or was overseen by Maxim Grigoriev of the Foundation for the Study of Democracy. He also led the investigation into the White Helmets in Syria in particular into the organ trafficking and child trafficking. So there's an important um, connection there and I think we'll be seeing more investigations from Maxim over time regarding the more recent crimes being committed by the Azov battalions. But I think I also quickly want to mention Eva Bartlett is currently in Mariupol. Um, and yesterday she published a report uh, effectively um, debunking the latest BBC propaganda of mass graves in an area close to Mariupol based on supposed satellite images. In fact, when Eva visited the site, they are um, standard graves, many of which are already um, occupied by, by people who died uh, previously, and others are dug with uh, the names of those to be buried, which include uh, Ukrainian soldiers. So I think, again, the BBC caught uh, lying blatantly about the conflict in Ukraine. Uh, thank you very much, Vanessa. Well, just to make sure that we understand what the BBC is, has been up to, the BBC fully aware of the torture and the reports of torture in 2014, and yet just a few years later, with no major changes to the, the, the uh, regime, we've got uh, BBC media action setting up the Ukrainian state media. Let's just bring this one up on screen. We've talked about this many times, but it's important that we never forget this because here's Meet BBC Media Action boasting that they worked to set up the Ukrainian, uh, the, uh, Ukrainian public broadcaster in 2017. And when they did this, they knew full well that this torture was going on and there have not been any significant changes in the elements of the Ukrainian regime that were originally associated with that torture. And of course, we've still got the Nazi Azov battalions operating and shooting and torturing in the field, your video clip of a few days ago, Mike. So we just want to remind people that the scam 
We called it a game, but of course it's a very serious game. Zelensky says it doesn't matter what comes out of the mouth of the, of the Ukrainian leader. Uh, ultimately, this is being created by the BBC, uh, which has produced his very state media organisation with funding from the British government and the European Union. And so we can say now with confidence that torture, which is still occurring in Ukraine, has full BBC approval uh, because they've turned a blind eye in order to uh, push out any other propaganda that Zelensky wants to uh, talk about. Um, so let's just briefly uh, stick with propaganda. And uh, Vanessa, we've been uh, mentioning on a number of occasions uh, for quite a number of weeks now that the parallels between the propaganda operation that's going on with respect to Ukraine and the propaganda operation that went on uh, with respect to uh, Syria. Uh, and so it was perhaps not surprising, therefore, um, that Dr. Knott made an appearance on the BBC this morning, uh, yesterday. Uh, Doc, uh, David Knott, the war surgeon helping uh, doctors save lives in Ukraine. Um, but we've heard that name before because uh, when he wasn't in Ukraine or before he was in Ukraine, he was in Syria. Um, so this is going back to 2018. Uh, Surgeon David Knott, hack led to Syria airstrike. So in this case, in 2018, he was claiming that the Russians uh, had hacked his uh, computer systems uh, and identified the position of uh, hospital and that the hospital had been attacked as a result. Uh, but of course, as well as that, uh, he was famous for the uh, claim that uh, uh, the Syrians were, the Syrian government were shooting uh, pregnant women in the stomach uh, in order to, well, to win cigarettes is the name of the is is what it says in the headline, um, but uh, well the question is how much do we believe Doctor Not? Um, we shouldn't at all. Um, certainly not without a very large pinch of salt. I mean this story that emerged in two thousand and thirteen and shot uh, Doctor Not to notoriety. Um, of course, he was also reported to have been treating ISIS fighters in uh, unliberated areas of Aleppo. Of course, now we see him in Ukraine probably treating um, Nazi fighters there. But when we go back to that photo very quickly, um, if we look at it, it was looked at by a number of uh, experts, even reported in the New Statesman. And um, what one of the experts asked, medical experts asked, he said, look, it's impossible. One, the bullet is asymmetric, which it wouldn't be had it entered uh, the fetus skull. There is no entry wound. At this age, the fetus uh, skull would have been very soft. You wouldn't see an intact skull. And he even went so far as to say the photo had been doctored because the position of the fetus in the womb at this stage of pregnancy is wrong. Um, of course, the image itself was produced by the French-funded Aleppo Media Center that I've written about at 21st Century Wire. But coming back to Dr. Knott, he is also a member of Medics Under Fire, an organization on, uh, on the board, is, are a number of players both in Syria and now in Ukraine. First of all, Hamish de Breton Gordon, um, who was the purveyor of the um, alleged chemical attack narratives in Syria, including the debunked and discredited Duma attack in 2018. And he is notorious for his fantastical invention of the fridge bomb, uh, believed to be connected to um, British intelligence, to MI6. There's also Toby Cadman, who we know to have been um, employed by the UK Foreign Office to criminalize on a legal basis, the Syrian government. 
Um, but we also have Dr. Saleh Hassan, who we would know as uh, one of the actors in the BBC panorama Saving Serious Children that was forensically debunked by researcher Robert Stewart. So already we see the kind of people that he's uh, working alongside regarding Syria. And now, of course, he pops up um, miraculously alongside Hamish Breton Gordon in Ukraine. Yeah. Okay. Well, thank you for that. Now, let's just move very quickly on to an article you've posted this morning on your own Substack. Uh, did Macron abandon French military to die in uh, uh, Azovstal uh, to protect his election campaign? Now, uh, Patrick on Friday was saying, you know, that that uh, there was some discussion of so-called VIPs being um, uh, stuck in uh, underground in Azovstal. Um, so the suggestion now is that uh, certainly, I think, is it 50 French military, uh, senior French military stuck there? Well, it's claimed that there are um, by uh, the Russian military spokesperson. And this report actually appeared in Turkish media um, and was based on the evidence given to them by a number of sources on the ground in Mariupol. Um, but the Russian spokesperson has already, military spokesperson has already stated that there are around 400 foreign mercenaries in the Azovstal steel plant. Of course, we know that Putin has um, cancelled the attack on the plant, preferring instead to, to blockade it, to force people to surrender without bloodshed, either on the Russian or the Ukrainian side, of course. He has opened humanitarian corridors to allow um, civilians and surrendering military to leave safely. We have the familiar stories of the Azov battalions executing those that are trying to leave, um, shooting them in the back, for example. Um, of those 400 foreign mercenaries, it is believed that there are American, British and French military experts who have been supervising the Azov battalion um, receipt of weapons from NATO member states and teaching them how to use them, basically. 50 French uh, senior French officers are believed to be an Azovstal. That, again, is based on intelligence received from French military operators that were picked up after two of the Ukrainian helicopters trying to carry out a rescue mission were downed. Um, there is evidence that Macron demanded that, that Putin create another humanitarian corridor to allow these military officers to escape into Ukrainian territory. We believe that that was refused. Um, Thierry Maysan reported that on the 29th of March 2022, Macron dismissed uh, the director of the French military intelligence, General Eric Videau, um, Vidot was responsible under instructions from private staff of Macron in 2021 to deploy military to Ukraine to supervise in particular the Azov battalions. Um, so clearly there was a reason that Vidot was dismissed when he was just leading up um, to the elections in France. There is also evidence that Macron uh, sent a message to the French officers in Azovstal to not surrender. So clearly he didn't want this story to get out leading up to the uh, French elections, which would demonstrate that he was willing to send his own military to die in Ukraine in order to save his uh, election campaign. Yeah, well, my, 
your analysis makes sense to all of the uh, information that I have seen from local reporters. Uh, Patrick Lancaster is one of them talking about people being shot in the back if they were trying to escape. Um, the picture is is gaining traction, isn't it? Why would you use helicopters? You couldn't possibly ex um, take out 500 or some people are saying there could be as many as a thousand still in the steel plant. One helicopter is only going to take relatively few men, so they had to be important. But presumably the truth will come out in due course. Okay, thank you very much for that, Vanessa. Now, just to uh, finish off this segment, uh, we were talking last week about the uh, the fact that the Russians had stated, uh, if we just put Sergei Shoigu on screen here, uh, had stated that uh, they were bringing more advanced military equipment into the region. Uh, and then, of course, last week, uh, we had the first test of the new Sarmat intercontinental ballistic missile by Russia. As we reported last week, the Chinese also showing off a hypersonic anti-ship missile uh, for the first time. Uh, well, not to be outdone, uh, and I say that very much tongue-in-cheek, uh, the uh, DARPA has uh, had carried out their second successful flight for their hypersonic, hypersonic air-breathing weapon concept. It's only a concept at this stage. Brian, they are so far behind with this. It's unbelievable. Uh, but anyway, don't worry. Uh, they're going to sort out Ukraine uh, because uh, Defence News here uh, reporting uh, a few days ago, uh, calling all weapons makers. That's an obscene headline, uh, isn't it? Yes. Yeah. Obscene. Uh, calling all weapons makers. Pentagon seeks new ideas to arm Ukraine. So uh, they posted a, a, a request for information from industry uh, on the System for Award Management website, which is a contract website. Uh, this is going to be funded through the uh, Rapid Fielding Initiative uh, on behalf of the new Undersecretary for Defence uh, sorry, Undersecretary of Defence for Acquisitions and Sustainable Sustainment, and that's Bill Laplante. Um, and so they're seeking ideas from across industry about air defence, anti-armour, anti-personnel, coastal defence, counter-battery, unmanned aerial systems, uh, communications equipment, um, and so on. And so they've asked that uh, companies respond uh, by detailing their product or system in 100 words or less, and in the case of munitions, um, decide or uh, announce or tell uh, what the appropriate target type would be. For example, uh, area, fixed, airborne, missile, maritime, uh, a mine, uh, moving, hard or soft targets. Um, and so the uh, information received will be used to develop requirements for actual uh, contracting later on. Um, and uh, so the uh, US Stars and Stripes here reporting that uh, retired Army General uh, has been appointed by White House to manage military aid for Ukraine as the country braces for Russian assault. That was from the 22nd of April. Uh, and so this is uh, retired Army Lieut uh, Lieutenant General Terry Wolf. Um, and uh, so he's been brought in to coordinate the security assistance the US and our partners are providing to Ukraine, uh, which they are using every day to defend their country. Yeah, Yes. with a few, with a few problems, which we'll cover in a second. Um, and finally, uh, on this, I just wanted to highlight this. Uh, this is uh, Shinzo Abe, who, of course, is the former prime minister of uh, Japan. And if we think that uh, this is this issue of war is going away anytime soon, it isn't, uh, because, of course, we now have to start uh, pressuring China over Taiwan and make sure that pressure uh, stays on. So uh, this is uh, what Abe said in the, product syndic uh, sorry, the Project Syndicate article here. 
that he wrote for them. Uh, Given the change in circumstances since the policy of strategic ambiguity was adopted, the US should issue a statement that is not open to misinterpretation or multiple interpretations. The time has come for the US to make clear that it will defend Taiwan against any attempted uh, Chinese invasion. Uh, The human tragedy that has befallen Ukraine has taught us a bitter lesson. There must be no, sorry, there must no longer be any room for doubt in our resolve concerning Taiwan uh, and in our determination to defend freedom, democracy, human rights, and the rule of law. And if anybody isn't laughing at that, uh, we should just bear in mind, we are emptying uh, both on this side of the Atlantic and on that side of the Atlantic, we are emptying emptying any reserve of arms or munitions that we have into Ukraine already. How in goodness name are we going to uh, attempt to run any kind of campaign against China and Taiwan? How does that the, how does that work? Right, this is people living their own propaganda. But of course, the other thing to say is just like um, it's Ukraine is going to be fought to the last Ukrainian. The Ukrainians are going to be the ones who die. Presumably, it'll be the Taiwanese that die under this system. Let's just have a look at this Fox News. We've got two little video clips from Fox News talking about weapons to Ukraine. So inflation is higher than it's been in generations, maybe than it's been ever, depending how you measure it. So Joe Biden's response, he's going to print a lot more money and send it to the government of Ukraine. Today, I'm announcing another $800 million to further augment Ukraine's ability to fight in the east in the Donbass region. This package includes heavy artillery weapons, dozens of howitzers, and 144,000 rounds of ammunition to go with those howitzers. It also includes more tactical drones. Sometimes it will speak softly and carry a large javelin because we're sending a lot of those in as well. Oh, spare us this stupid Churchill stuff. It's not just the guns that we're sending. The Treasury Secretary announced today we're sending another half a billion to pay for the salaries of workers in the Ukrainian government. Is that government, should we be doing that? But more to the point, what happens to all these weapons that we send to Ukraine? Well, according to CNN, we don't know. Quote, the U.S. has few ways to track the weaponry to send across the borders, so the weapons are disappearing fast. Watch. The first shipments of that new, more heavy-duty military assistance for Ukraine started arriving in the region over the weekend. But there is already concern that more equipment may be needed soon. A U.S. official said there is growing concerns about the ammunition inventory of the Ukrainians, as it's expected that heavy ground combat will be picking up in the coming days in eastern Ukraine. Now, this new round of $800 million worth of security assistance includes 18 howitzers and 40,000 artillery rounds. But a source said that those could be expended and used in just a matter of days. Now, the Pentagon has been working, trying to address how to arm the Ukrainians faster. So they've beaten you into submission with moral lectures. Meanwhile, the White House has sent more than a billion dollars to Ukraine in just the past week. And then today, as we told you, the Secretary of the Treasury announced we're sending another half a billion to pay the salaries of Ukrainian government workers. Shouldn't we have an audit of Zelensky's finances first? Oh, shut up. That's Russian disinformation. Um, David, before we show the next clip, um, what's, your, what's your thoughts on uh, what Fox News is, is putting across there? Well, we're, we're putting in huge amounts of weapons. Yes, we don't know where they're going to go, but we, the, the, the link between the economic resource and the 
and the logistical train to put those weapons on the front line, and anything that's Ukrainian has gone. So this starts to look to me like an American war. I mean, yes, it's Ukrainian soldiers, but it starts to look like an American war, a Western war. I'm suspicious that it will start to look that way to the Russians too. Uh, that's a very good point. Well, let's look at the second uh, little clip from Fox News where um, a, a military veteran is commenting on what's happening. Colonel Doug McGregor is a former senior advisor to Secretary of Defense. He joins us tonight. Doug, thanks so much for coming on. So is there no concern that, because we've seen this so often in the past, that weapons that we send to a war zone might wind up in the wrong places? Well, I think there is some concern, but not enough to uh, stop the hemorrhage of uh, materiel and money into Ukraine. We've had terrible problems in the past with accounting for where weapons and ammunition go. We saw that in Southeast Asia. We've seen it in Iraq and Afghanistan. And I think we can say with some certainty that many of these weapons will end up in the hands of people we'd rather never see them in. But that aside, if you listen to what President Biden said today, He's conveying the impression that any of this will change the outcome. It will not. What's happening right now in the Donbass is the final annihilation of what remains of Ukraine's best forces down in the southeastern corner of the country. Uh, they, they can't change that. Remember, the distance from Poland to the battlefront is roughly the same as the distance between St. Louis and New York City. They don't have the infrastructure to train people. They don't have the infrastructure to sustain the equipment. And then they've got to move it. I'm afraid the only thing we're doing is escalating tensions with Russia and turning Western Ukraine into a large target set for Russian missiles, rockets, and uh, airstrikes. So that's uh, pretty clear. We don't know where the weapons are ultimately going to go. We do know a vast amount of them are simply falling into the Russian hands. But why do we want a protracted war in Ukraine? Uh, well, I'm going to say thank you to one of our viewers that sent in a link through to a video. Um, what was the subject of the video? World Government Summit Day. Uh, let's have a look at the next clip, which to me explains a great deal about the importance of Ukraine. Highnesses, Excellencies, Ladies, and gentlemen, a very, very good morning on what is the first official day of World Government Summit here at Dubai Expo 2020. And the title of this session, Are We Ready for a New World Order? Well, the organizers here are nothing if not ambitious. This is, I think you will agree, a daunting subject for discussion at just after 9 a.m on a Wednesday morning here in the relative calm of Expo 2020. But tackle it, we must, because I believe what is clear is that we have hit an inflection point. We are certainly living in a unique age of uncertainty and volatility in global affairs. Whether you are from the global north or the global south, we have all collectively lived through the twilight zone that was the pandemic and the changes to our social, our digital, and our fiscal landscape that COVID-19 wrought. And just as the world 
re-emerges from the pandemic, we are faced with the Russian invasion of Ukraine, which certainly feels like a transformative geopolitical moment. Coming as that does against a backdrop of great power struggles, the emergence of middle powers, of climate crisis, and cybersecurity challenges, the trend lines certainly seem to indicate a world headed in a disorderly direction. Is the US-led multilateral system created post-World War II to manage international relations so that the world would never again see and experience the same chaos and disorder of a world war? Is it anything like fit for purpose? And if not, what is the alternative? That is the purpose of this discussion today, so let's get on with it. So just to clarify, that was 2022, although yes. the lady said 2020, 2020 at one point, but Ukraine mentioned there as a key opportunity for transforming, and um, what are they talking about, world government. Uh, well, indeed, and uh, I do recommend people watch uh, some of that uh, because the live streams have been very interesting. Uh, David, they've been very much uh, enthusiastic about the idea of uh, stable coins, of uh, central bank digital currencies, all the usual uh, narratives uh, and policy areas are very much being discussed uh, during this uh, conference. Yes, um, all, the, all the Bitcoin type technology is being adopted very rapidly by the central banks. And it was very interesting and, and, and notable in that, in that introductory speech there, how often she talked about order. We must prevent disorder. We must be ordered. Um, it, it sounded a bit like um, the, the justification for the empire in Star Wars. You know, we must bring order. And um, it, it, that, that's clearly the agenda, right? They, they don't like messiness. And um, another word for messiness might be liberty. Um, well, it, I did. It is a good point. <laughs> yes, it, it is amusing, Brian, that uh, I can't remember which Tory MP it was suggesting that uh, uh, if there was an attempt to oust Boris Johnson from his position, that that would bring uh, disorder and disarray yeah, in that, British that's, politics. That's been one of the headlines. I can't remember where I saw it, but our viewers will track it down pretty quickly. Yes, indeed. We, okay. we have to keep Boris because otherwise we, it might might be all uh, get out of out of hand. Yes. Uh, yeah, OK, we'll say no more about that. Let's uh, let's move on. Uh, if you like what the UK Column does and you would like to support us, then please head over to community.ukcolumn.org. There are options for you to help us out there. That would be very much appreciated. Uh, or you could uh, pick something up at the UK Column shop, which is at shop.ukcolumn.org. Uh, but in any case, uh, please do share any of the material you find on the various platforms. Um, and uh, that would be appreciated as well. Now, I just want to uh, bring people's attention, if you're in Sweden, uh, to the Northern Light, Light Convention. Uh, it's a live event taking place on the 13th to the 15th of May uh, in uh, Malmo in Sweden. Um, and uh, some fantastic uh, speakers at that, Sukra Bhakti, uh, Catherine Austin Fitz, uh, the whole raft of, of people, many of whom you'll have seen on Doctors for COVID Ethics symposiums and uh, quite a number that you perhaps haven't seen. Uh, doc, uh, 
Professor Christian Perron will be uh, speaking there as well. Um, so uh, so do, uh, if you're in that part of the world or you can get to that part of the world, do uh, get involved in that. It will be live streamed as well, um, by the way. Uh, but Katie Jo, um, welcome to the program. You have um, a, an advertisement here. Uh, well, first of all, an event which was canceled. <clears throat> yes, the amazing Alphas, um, the uh, Alpha Men Assemble that helped us a couple of weekends ago um, and are coming up again. They're coming up to at the end of the month to finish off the jobs that they didn't get to do. And they're also going to, uh, we've got a whole new list of brand new things. But yeah, no, they're looking at ways of fundraising for us as well. Uh, they're throwing everything at it. And what they came up with was a fantastic evening of boxing. Um, which it was to be held at the prestigious uh, York Hall. Um, and I have to say that when these guys get together, they're from all over the country, and when they get together, there's nothing but love between them. They're like brothers and sisters. And um, the evening was going to be a white-collared event, uh, all those boxing, as I say, friends, friendly, friendly event. Um, we were given the top slot of the night. The majority of the ticket sales was going to come to Hope. Uh, we were going to be allowed to go round with buckets. Um, it was going to be a fantastic evening. But the boxing promoter for this evening has been running the night for 20 years at the York Hall. And never has he ever had any trouble from the police or the council. Apparently, the council received a call from the counter-terrorism police to say that a group of right-wing men were boxing on that night. And they have intelligence that another group was going to come down and cause trouble. Uh, this is an absolute load of rubbish, as you can, as you can tell. Um, they are stopping a fundraising night for a project that supports, you know, families that have chosen to home educate. Uh, that says a lot, really, doesn't it? So, and in fact, the whole night has been cancelled. Um, the promoter um, has lost about £20,000 from the cancellation of this whole evening. Um, it's just, it's just, I'm lost for words that they've been able to do this really. But the amazing people that had already bought tickets haven't asked for any refunds. It's all gone to hope still. And the Alpha team haven't let it stop them They're, with their fundraising. They are now going to march for hope instead of boxing. So those in the North are doing the Hadrian's Wall. And those in the south are doing the South Downs. That's 84 and 100 miles in six or seven days. Uh, the rules are they have to take all their equipment, all their food. They're allowed to source water. Uh, they have to sleep on the trail. And we even have a couple of teenagers and a teacher from Hope uh, taking part in this um, fundraiser. So I'm hoping that as many people will support them and this amazing uh, feat that they're about to do uh, next week. They actually start next Monday. So, but the, um, yeah, unbelievable that the actual boxing evening was, uh, was cancelled um, by the counter-terrorism police. Well, yes, uh, increasingly uh, not unbelievable anymore, Kitty Joe, because of course this has been going on for, for quite a few years. Uh, the uh, media on trial events cancelled by the council in Leeds, for example, because they didn't want uh, that particular project uh, using council-owned uh, uh, buildings either. So. Uh, anyway, that, it's an, going to be an increasing uh, problem, I think. But David, let's uh, come on to uh, uh, sodium uh, valproate. Yes, a couple of, couple of uh, articles here regarding the NHS, which has been a subject we've been looking at this week. Uh, sodium valproate, an article here in the Times, 
um, regarding uh, the uh, harm that these uh, drugs have been causing to, uh, to unborn children. So mothers of children born with physical and mental problems after being prescribed this epilepsy, epilepsy drug uh, asked why nobody warned them. Uh, MPs are to investigate why an epilepsy drug still being prescribed to pregnant women um, despite having been linked to birth defects uh, for decades. Um, the article continues that as many as 20,000 babies, 20,000, are thought to have been born with physical deformities and neurological problems as a result. Um, now, this obviously begs the question, where was MHRA? Where was June Rain? Uh, where, what was she doing uh, when she should have been um, providing protection to the public? 20,000 children harmed. It's astonishing. Uh, the, uh, the Times also continues, um, uh, Jeremy Hunt, uh, obviously we've been in touch um, with Jeremy Hunt, uh, Debbie has, um, with uh, regards to vaccine damage with uh, surrounding COVID. Uh, Jeremy Hunt, the committee chairman, um, uh, said following reports in the Sunday Times last week about Valparate still being prescribed to pregnant women, the select committee has decided to hold an emergency hearing in June. I believe ministers must now face up to the responsibilities to these families, including looking at the issue of financial redress. We will also be seeking answers on why this scandal has persisted for so long unchecked. Uh, and I hope very much he gets some uh, progress with that. David, um, David, I was just going to, I think Brian has questions well, but I was just going to say they consider it an emergency, but they're not doing anything until June. Yes, that's that's emergency now in, in um, House of Commons. Okay. It's uh, not. It's not. Uh, what you would call an emergency. Right, mm, right. okay. Uh, David, my immediate response would be is I'm puzzled at the figure of 20,000 because I think the true figure is somewhere near 37,000. And of course, um, uh, a tragedy in 1978 was the death of a 13-year-old little girl called Helena Bai, and her mother Joan Bai has campaigned ever since to get the government to address the immense dangers of this drug but that family, of course, have been turned away at every opportunity, betrayed by MPs. And uh, what I'll say on today's news is we will add further detail to the tragic story. But if people simply Google grief over girls' fourth funeral, you will find details of the, of the story itself. But the government uh, does not want to react properly to the dangers of drugs and vaccines. This is very clear. Uh, another aspect of the NHS is the collapse of the GP service. So we've got a little example from the local press in Persia here from the Dundee Courier. Plans for Highland Persia Village GP surgery to be permanently closed. So the residents are unhappy. Blair Athol surgery was closed when the pandemic hit and has not reopened since. Um, Doctors at the uh, Athol Medical Centre in Pitlochry, which operates the Blair Athol site as a branch surgery, say they do not have the resources to reopen the site. Um, the reasons why this can't be done are interesting. Uh, the reasons are lack of, avail of an available GP session to cover the branch surgery. GPs were working alone in the practice, which was considered unsafe working conditions. And for those who know Blair Athol, they'll find that exceptionally surprising. Uh, it's a very quiet, very peaceful little, little village. 
Um, the premises at Blair Athol are now apparently not fit for use. Uh, does that mean they've been not being properly maintained during the pandemic? I suspect it does. Premises have not been in use since in use since closing in March 2020 due to the pandemic, and an increased workload across primary care team has been exacerbated by COVID. So what we see here is the 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 already severe strains on the GP service, which has been declining for years, as everyone in Britain knows. Um, have been hugely accelerated by the COVID crisis and they are not recovering. Uh, services are not reopening and the situation continues to uh, deteriorate. Yeah. Okay, well, let's move uh, quickly on to uh, the online safety bill then. And we've received this communication uh, from a viewer. It said, Dear UK Column, I'm sure you'll not be surprised by, by this email. I emailed my local MP about the removal of free speech effect uh, of the online safety bill. I made sure to focus on the topic of free speech. So I was disappointed and a bit shocked, brackets, although more in a sad way, uh, that the reply did, didn't refer in any way whatsoever to my actual email. Uh, I focused my email completely on the removal of free speech. I mentioned legal but harmful. I mentioned how the government will get to decide what is truth. I barely mentioned pornography, uh, except to recognize it as being used to disguise the deeper nature of this bill. Um, and uh, goes on to say, uh, this is almost not worth the electronic time to replicate, but I, it will add to your immense database of the reality of our government. Thank you for your hard work and so on. Thank, uh, and that's from Linda. So thank you very much, Linda. So uh, this is her MP, uh, Jerome Mayhew, the son of uh, Paddy Mayhew, the former Northern Ireland Secretary. Uh, and uh, he is the Conservative Member of Parliament for Broadland. And this is what he had to say. And I'm, I'm, I haven't, I'm not covering the whole letter, but uh, you get the point. Uh, thank you for contacting me about protecting children from online pornography. Well, that's not what, she, what Linda wrote to uh, Jerome Mayhew about, but anyway, uh, it goes on to say, uh, the government has made an unwavering commitment to protecting children online uh, while, growing, while going online can be hugely beneficial for children who use the internet for connecting with peers, accessing educational resources, and for entertainment. Uh, it is vital that children protected from accessing inappropriate harmful content, including online pornography. Uh, he says, uh, by bringing all websites offering pornography online into scope, these measures will go further than the provisions contained in the Digital Economy Act and will be able to better protect children from a broader range of harmful content and activity. Uh, under the proposals, all pornography sites, social media providers and video sharing platforms will have a legal duty to verify that those accessing pornographic material are over 18 years old. Uh, and he said, if they fail to act, Ofcom, the independent regulator, may issue a fine of up to 10% of global turnover or block them from being accessible in the UK. So we're going to, he's saying we're going to have a, a great firewall, a China style firewall in the UK, but okay. Uh, bosses of these websites could also be held criminally liable if they fail to cooperate with Ofcom. Uh, parents deserve peace of mind uh, that their children are protected online uh, from seeing things no child should see, and the revised measures can deliver on this. Now, that um, was, of course, as Linda pointed out, not answering any of the questions raised by Linda in any way, shape, or form, uh, and in fact, simply uh, hid behind the narrative that the government is attempting to pursue to drive uh, public support for this bill. Uh, and of course, the bill does undoubtedly help in some areas, but the bill is hugely dangerous in many, many other areas. 
Uh, and what I did notice in uh, Jer Jerome Mayhew's response there was that although he was focusing on the pornography aspect of this and children's access to pornography, he was also saying that children shouldn't have access to other content which he uh, considers harmful. So just before I get comment from David on this, I just want to remind everybody very briefly uh, what the bill is actually about, uh, this, the section of the bill that we're concerned about anyway. This issue of legal but harmful content, this is about addressing content harmful to adults, not to children, to adults that falls below the threshold of a criminal offence. Uh, and uh, the details go on to say that the categories of legal but harmful content will be set out in the secondary legislation uh, that subject, they say, to approval by both Houses of Parliament. Uh, social pla media platforms will only be required to act on the priority legal harm set out in that uh, secondary legislation. Uh, meaning decisions and what types of content are harmful are not delegated to private companies or at the whim of internet executives. But David, uh, this is the point. This, the, the whole argument, and we've been saying this since the Online Harms White Paper was published in 2018 or whenever it was, uh, that the government is hiding behind the so-called protection of children in order to bring in these draconian uh, efforts to shut down uh, any counter-narratives. Yes, absolutely. It's just like name person, that's the excuse, and then you find all your information is being hoovered up and shared. In this case, um, you're going to lose uh, freedom to, to, to hear what people think on the internet. And it's not as if the protection of children is even true, because as we know, uh, especially in Scotland, where John Swinney's education department is actively promoting pornography in schools, via their sex education program, um, they're not even being consistent in saying that it's harmful. Well, precisely. Any thoughts? Uh, <laughs> uh, I'm, I'm going to say no, not at this point. Right. It's, it's The government is running an agenda to its entire satisfaction. It's nothing to do with protection of children. 100%. Sorry, did you have something else to add there, David? No, no, just uh, we're going on to some economics things uh, here, a few economic stories. And the first one's a little video, which I'll, which I'll talk over. But the reason I want, I want to show this is it shows how much change actually happens and, and how rapid the change can be. So this video here is, um, is, is the international reserve currency. The red bit is, is a pound, and you see that it's going right down and the dollar's taking over there. And then actually in the 1930s through to 1940s, the pound comes back and it's almost the entirety by the end of the Second World War of the international reserves. And then it declines and it declines. And then when we get to the 60s, it, it, it rather collapses. And then it's, it's essentially just a dollar. And then you see other things like the EQ and the, and the Deutschmark and the yen coming up uh, and, the, and, and the dollar uh, you know, fluctuating back and forward. Um, and then the, the uh, euro comes in, um, and you're seeing through points of crisis, very rapid change. So that's where we sit at the moment. Uh, and, and the point there is how quickly these things change, how quickly the reserve currency status can change. And when you're going from uh, one system, a British-dominated world to an American-dominated world, that change took place exceptionally rapidly. And uh, that's that's the the point of that little bit of video that these these changes can be can be quick. And I'm suggesting in the next section that we're going to see a lot of very rapid economic shifts uh, coming up because the signs are there. 
Um, now, we've got here um, an article from Glasgow Live who are supporting the Ukraine, so that's good to know. Um, House prices in Glasgow suburb of Gifnock rise by £2,500 a day. What does a bubble look like, gentlemen? Um, well, like this. Uh, so one Glasgow suburb, it's £2,500 a day. Um, uh, the, the, the value of a stone-built, semi-detached homes in the area uh, rose by £70,000 in February alone and are selling for 750000 on average. So um, your house is now earning way more than you are. Does this ring any bells? We've been here before. It wasn't that long ago. Does everyone remember this tune and, and, and how it ends? Now, it's not just in, in uh, leafy Gifnook. Um, we have here um, uh, Mike Maloney from Gold Silver doing the analysis of the situation in America. And you see here real, uh, real home prices plotted against time. And you see the huge spike and the huge collapse. That was the 2008 housing uh, subprime crisis. But real home prices have already passed the old high, the old bubble high. How does this end? It's only got one way it can possibly go. Um, and Mike Maloney continues, and he's got another graph here. Um, this is this, the number of homes under construction compared to the number of people in the age bracket 20, 25 to 54. In other words, the working population likely to want to buy a new home. And you see that it, it, it increased up until a collapse in about 2005. That led to the subprime collapse. So that triggered. Um, the, the, the big recession, and we're already past that level again. How is that graph going to look in a few years? It's only going to go one way. Now, the, the next point I want to make here is the interconnectivity of, of, of these systems. Everything's tied up, and it's international. So when things start to go wrong in one place, they go wrong everywhere all at once. So we, th this next slide is from Japan. And what it shows is the dollar versus yen chart. And what you see there is the value of the Japanese yen is going off a cliff. Right? The Japanese yen is in free fall. Um, so why is that happening? Well, um, the Japanese are printing lots of money. And why are they printing lots of money? They, are, they, are, they have a policy of keeping interest rates at zero. So they've now defined zero as plus or minus 0.25%. And you see that they are uh, right up at the top end of that. Right? So how do they keep um, the interest rates from rising? Well, the reason, what they do is the Bank of Japan uh, announces that it's going to buy unlimited amounts of 10-year gov uh, Japan government bonds, um, any amount in order to maintain the price of the bonds. And they're doing it with printing money. Now, the issue here is that that money is obviously going to dilute the rest of the, rest of the value of the Japanese currency. It's going to drive the Japanese currency through the floor. That means it takes even more Japanese currency to buy the bonds to maintain the zero interest rates. And who is the biggest buyer outside of America of American bonds? It's Japan. So when they're doing this, they're not, they're not buying American bonds. And that drives American interest rates up. And interest rates going up is what will bust the housing bubble. So you see it's all a very unstable set of basically Jenga economics. 
one brick comes out at the wrong time and the whole thing will come crashing down. And this, Mike, I think is the most unstable and dangerous economic situation I've seen in the last 12 years. Uh, well, it is, David, but it's hardly a surprise because uh, we, uh, as we were reporting in 2008 and 2009, that issue never went away. Everybody thinks that uh, uh, because things stabilised after 2009 and uh, economies are starting to were worst, at least up until the uh, uh, up until COVID, uh, economies were starting to apparently recover. Uh, that that everything that happened in two thousand seven, two thousand eight had just gone away, but those issues weren't resolved. The underlying problems weren't resolved, and so it was only ever going to come back. And in fact, it was only ever going to come back ten times worse because in order to resolve the the problems of two thousand seven and two thousand eight, they just carried on doing more of the same stuff. Exactly so, and now they're committed to um, money printing as a solution for everything and no more recessions and whenever we, we had a problem we're going to print and print and print, which we did during COVID. And uh, no real, there's no such thing as sound money and there's no such thing as real value and there's no such thing as real economics anymore. Uh, but there is and they will get caught out and it's coming soon. Uh, yes. Indeed, but uh, surely, uh, you know, some global conflict will sort that out, right? <laughs> well, I don't know that war is the way to solve economic problems, um, despite what uh, John Maynard Keynes may have told you. Okay, well, okay. Okay, thank you for that. Okay, let's uh, move on then. Uh, Kitty Jo, um, let's move on to uh, cultural issues and, uh, well, the family sex show. The family sex show indeed, thank you. Um, it's been all over social media and mainstream news for the last two weeks and I'm sure many of the uh, people watching have uh, seen about it. It's, it's, yeah, it's really disturbing. Um, and if you haven't actually seen what it's all about, I'll just fill you in. I think it's the first slide there on yes. screen and you'll see they're, a, they're an interesting uh, bunch of actors, say the least. Uh, the second slide tells us a little bit about it. The play is apparently a fun and silly performance about the painstakingly awkward subject of sex, exploring names and functions, boundaries, consent, pleasure, queerness, gender and relationships. Just what any family would like to watch together with their five-year-old children. Yes, that's right. This play has full frontal nudity and is aimed for children as young as five. Um, there, if you go onto the uh, website, the show um, website has a glossary they have worked on with the School of Sexuality Education to create. Some of the words in the glossary are actually used in the show. I just picked out a few that I found deeply disturbing and some that I'd never actually heard of. So there's on that first slide, a fab and a mad. This is the assigned gender you were given at birth, which is based on a baby's physical characteristics. <clears throat> because apparently doctors and parents can get it wrong sometimes. And assuming you are a girl, because you have female genitalia is a silly mistake. Um, in the next slide, you can see even more disturbing words and their meanings that have been purposefully written in a way that a child would understand them. And the last slide of words from the glossary, I think have some of the worst of all of them. For anyone to think that a five-year-old needs to know the meanings of these words is clearly trying to groom children, are they not? There is also a page of frequently asked questions 
um, I chose two that I was really intrigued to hear what they, you know, their answer would be. So why so young? Five is young and their answer is sexual development and behavior in children starts at birth. It is important that children are supported in their exploratory development safely and comfortably. What is safe about teaching children the term pegging or VIP sex and the meaning of it? I, 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 I don't understand. I'm lost, lost for words. Katie Joe, this is grooming. What you are describing uh, here very clearly is, is grooming of children. 100%. And note that the grooming of these very young children is fully supported by NSPCC. Yep, they are mentioned. They are mentioned. Um, and another question, why, why are you making this show? I was intrigued to know what their answer was. And my alarm bells are going, obviously, through the roof. And this question doesn't put my fears at ease at all. They are making this show to open conversations across multi-generational audiences and to use pleasure as a vehicle for consent, knowing that we get to decide what feels good for us as individuals and that our boundaries are ours to decide. So if a five-year-old wants to be touched because it feels nice, it's up to them to decide. It's, it screams paedophilia and grooming, as you said there. Um, and if you aren't outraged, as I am, and I, I, when I first saw this, I, I actually cried because I was so upset by it. Um, if it's, you know, it's not upset you that much doubt, have a little look at these lyrics. Um, I, I'm not even going to read them out because they actually make me feel physically sick. Um, but the uproar against this has been a big one. The company and the venues have apparently received violent and legal threats by a small group of people with extremist views. <laughs> I'm extreme, <laughs> apparently. Uh, and there was a petition uh, which gained hundreds of thousands of signatures, which thankfully resulted in the show being pulled. However, there will be performances um, for an invited audience ahead of public performances in the future, they have stated. So this isn't going to be the last we've heard of this. It isn't going anywhere. And we've got to be ready for when they try to put it out there again. Um, and then moving on to dolls, if you're ready. Oh, I think, I think uh, David, would you like to say something? Brian mentioned NSPCC. It's also lottery funded and uh, funded by the Arts Council of England. So if you feel strongly about it, you might drop them a line too. Yeah. Uh, and I'm going to say that makes sense to me, David, because these organisations have always been around the periphery of other attempts to lower the age of sex or to groom younger children towards sexual behaviour. There's been a pattern there over a great many years. Uh, well, we got a bit of a preview of the next uh, graphic because you were talking, Kitty Joe, there about uh, them suggesting that uh, uh, you know, gender is assigned at birth, and it can be mistaken if you if if you're only basing that decision on uh, physical characteristics. Um, so let's bring the dolls back on screen. The, um, the dolls, yeah, they um, the dolls. So one of the first uh, transgender dolls to be sold in uh, 2014 was in Argentina, and that's the fairy there you can see that has a penis. Uh, then in 2019, a female doll with a penis was sold in Russia. And now the demand apparently for these dolls is growing at a rapid rate. So Mattel, the makers of Barbie, now have a line of gender neutral dolls with interchangeable hair and clothing. <laughs> I mean, is it, is it me or did you always just be able to dress your doll how you wanted when you were young? I mean, my sister cut my Cindy doll's hair off and she looked like a boy. I mean, you, you, you can do that. You don't need specific dolls aimed 
um, it's, 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 you know, they're indoctrinating our children um, and brainwashing them. Um, and I find it really interesting that the argument I find with the LGBT community time and time again is that they don't want to be put into a box. I think it says it there in that article on the screen. They don't want to be put in a box, but the labelling in the LGBTQ plus community is worse than ever. There were no boxes before. It was just fact. You were born a girl or you were born a boy. So, um, and these, these dolls, apparently the store clerk will have to be trained in what pronouns to use when talking about the dolls and how to handle anxious parents. <laughs> and then meanwhile, in Canada, we have the world's first educational transgender boy, Sam. Um, Sam is a twin and she wants to be like her brother. She wants to be a boy like her brother. So the toy is in the style of a Russian doll. And as Sam gets older, we see her transition into a boy. And there's a short video on the, on the website as well that shows Sam incredibly upset, cutting her hair off. Um, lots of kids do that. Kids cut their hair off. Girls dressed in tomboy clothes. They, lots of kids do that. There's nothing. It's not helping children. We're not supporting children. We're just indoctrinating them. Um, and as always, they're using the education system. I would say school is one of the most dangerous places to have children in right now. It's, 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 yeah, I wouldn't have a kid in school. I really, really wouldn't. And then there's Disney. If you'd like me to move on to Disney, people, are, people have been noticing weird subliminal messages in Disney um, films and episodes for a while now. If you've been looking for them, you can definitely find them. Uh, there's a gift card there with a picture of Mickey Mouse with his hand around Minnie Mouse. Um, I had to include this article from the Rolling Stone. The title cracked me up. Right-wingers see penis and LGBTQ conspiracy. Only right-wingers. That's, that's exactly what we are. I mean, it's, you can't mistake what that picture is showing you. Um, it's not a new Im image. It's been around for about 10 years, but has resurfaced since uh, Disney's CEO Bob Chapek's announcement that the company would no longer support new Florida legislation. The HB 1557 bill, which was signed into law last month, prohibits public school teachers from discussing the existence of LGBTQ people in any capacity from kindergarten to the third grade. Yes, Florida, absolutely brilliant to finally see a state protecting our vulnerable children and not allowing this in the education system. Um, Chapek uh, issued a statement saying the company would help facilitate a repeal of the bill. So there's a big Disney boy, uh, boycott happening at the moment. And as disturbing as all this is, it seems to be causing another mass awakening, which is incredible and really, really positive. We just have to hope that people are going to connect the dots now and see the bigger picture as everything, everything is connected and part of ultimately of the same agenda. So what is Disney's plan? Uh, we've got Latoya Rabenu an executive producer at Disney. She has total freedom to promote her not, not at all secret gay agenda in films. Uh, there is a homosexual kissing scene in the new Buzz Lightyear film set to be released in June between two female characters. Originally, the kiss was uh, cut from the film and would have only have uh, stated that the relationship was a gay one. It has since been reinstated uh, in response to claims that Disney has been censoring LGBTQ in films. Uh, and the other, These films sorry, are for the, children. 
Yeah, the, the, other, the other thing to note there is that uh, with the Buzz Lightyear film, of course, the person who used to voice Bud, Bud, uh, Buzz Lightyear was Tim Allen, the comedian in, yep. in the United States, and he has been sacked from that job. So somebody else will be, uh, and I've seen quite a lot of people saying that they will boycott the film on that basis as well. Uh, uh, and of course, he, he had been speaking out on these issues. Yeah, that's it. But, the, but it's, it's show business. There's always somebody. There's always somebody who's going to do it. Yeah. Unfortunately, um, uh, Revenue said, I don't have to be afraid. Let's have these two characters kiss in the background. I was just wherever I could just basically adding queerness. No one would stop me. No one was trying to stop me. Uh, and then I also had a clip there of Karen Burke stating her goal and dream, which is to make 50 percent of characters in Disney films from the LGBT community or other politically chosen minorities. Um, if you've got that there. Yes, um, that, that's, let's, let's watch, watch that. Yeah, let's watch it. I'm, I'm here as a mother of, of two queer children, actually, um, uh, one transgender child um, um, and one pansexual child. Um, and and also as a leader um and that was the thing that really got me because i have heard so much from so many of my colleagues over the course of the last couple of weeks um in open forums and through emails and phone conversations and um i feel a responsibility to speak um not just for myself but for them uh, to all of us we, we had a we had an open forum last week at 20th where um again the home of, of really incredible groundbreaking lgbtqia stories over the years where um, one of our execs stood up and said you know we only have a handful of queer leads in our content and i went what I, that can't be true and i and i and i realized oh it, it actually is true we have many 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 lgbtqia characters in our stories and 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 yet we don't have enough leads um, and narratives in which gay characters just just get to be characters um, and and not have to be about gay stories. And so um, that's been very eye opening for me. Um, and and I I can tell you um, it's something that I feel perhaps had this moment not happened. Um, I, as a leader, and me as my colleagues, would not have focused on. And and going forward, um, I, I certainly will be more so. I know that we will be, and um, and I hope this is a moment where, shoot, um, the fifty percent of the tears, <laughs> sorry, are coming. Um, uh, we don't. We just don't allow each other to go backwards. Wow. Uh, question what is pansexual does that mean anything at all does it include animals i don't know um but um what is this lady on what is she on exactly i mean like you i still get it all confused i don't really know what pansexual is um but the kids are using these terminologies these these pronouns and and it's just the norm now yeah. Um, but it's frightening. These people are in positions of power. Um, yes. Well, look, thank you very much for that, Katie. Joe, uh, David, we're pretty much out of time, but let's just run through your, your couple of pieces uh, on a similar topic here. So we've got a tweet here. Yes. Yeah, so this is a tweet. He said, I can't 
I can't get over the sheer audacity of this book aimed at young children. And the book says, uh, see, when you were born, um, you couldn't tell people who you were or how you felt. They looked at you and made a guess. Maybe they got it right, maybe they got it wrong. So we're just out and out lying to children to confuse them now. It's uh, all pretense of reasonableness seems to have gone. Um, and then we've now got a little video that shows the same idea being put forward. This video is from uh, the now legendary libs of TikTok, um, uh, which puts uh, the, the liberals of TikTok, uh, it just lets people see what they're saying. And uh, this lady's talking about how you um, get these points over to young children. Here's a developmentally appropriate way to talk to toddlers about bodies and gender. You know the body parts that your diaper or your panties or your underwear cover? Those are called privates. Everyone has privates. Private means that they belong to you and only you. In the front, everybody has genitals, but there are different kinds of genitals. Some genitals are called a penis. Some are called a vulva. Others look maybe a little bit like each in some ways, or kind of like neither, or somewhere in between. People with those kind of genitals are called intersex. When babies are born, parents sometimes guess their gender based on their genitals. They tend to guess boy for babies who have a penis and girl for babies who have a vulva. Sometimes parents guess wrong though, and that's okay. Everybody makes mistakes sometimes. People whose parents guessed wrong about their gender are called transgender. Again, lying to children seems to be what we're, what we're planning to do there. Uh, this next uh, slide um, is just to point out that the journalist who um, doxed uh, and revealed the name and doorstepped the, uh, the uh, private individual who <clears throat> um, ran the libs of, or runs the libs of TikTok site, um, doxed this private citizen and her extended family, uh, got some pushback online, didn't like it. This is her crying on national television about how terrible it's been because people have said mean things to her. Um, about uh, doxing this private individual for having opinions with which she does not agree. Uh, this is apparently no longer allowed. Uh, yes, indeed. Well, look, thank you very much for that, David. And uh, we'll just we'll we just end with a couple of final slides uh, because uh, this is uh, topical, bearing in mind what we've just been discussing. Um, Kitty Joe. Yeah, it's just the perfect depiction, isn't it, of how hard it is for children now just to live a normal life without the constant bombardment from the LGBT plus community. Yes. It's just, yeah. Indeed. And finally, David. Yes, with Elon Musk trying to take over Twitter and the, the libs of TikTok being very unhappy about it, oh, a lot of, a lot of uh, howling at the sky and being very anxious that <laughs> Elon Musk might actually make Twitter, uh, once again, a free speech platform. They're, they're completely triggered by that. And I thought this little, this little uh, meme was the perfect way uh, of expressing that idea. Yeah. 
Okay, well, that brings us to the end of the news. Um, a lot of material in today's UK column. Uh, please share the information. That's why we're putting it out there. Um, but whether it's Ukraine, uh, where there's a war going on, there's also a war going on in UK for the for our children's minds, because, of course, you control the children, you control the future. Does the British government understand the attack on children without question? Because clearly it is assisting and condoning what's taking place. So a war going on in UK, um, equal to the war in Ukraine, uh, but the children are the main target in this country. What can we do about it? speak out, challenge those MPs when they don't respond properly, go back one question at a time, don't let them off the hook. And uh, we'll say, of course, spread the information and uh, also give a thumbs up for all of those really excellent uh, social media people who have now taken over the job that should have been for our mainstream media and the BBC. We'll leave it there. Uh, we'll be back in a few minutes on the main uh, stream with some extra. Thank you for joining us. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.